Today's sponsor is EveryPlate. Initially, I thought meal kits had to be expensive, that they were kind of a splurge. But as it turns out, EveryPlate is more affordable than groceries. Their quality ingredients come pre-portioned to help you save money and reduce food waste, you know, like the bag of spinach that I throw out every single week. You can skip the store and let every plate plan, shop, and deliver everything you need to cook a delicious meal at a consistently low price. For me, in the summer, I'd rather be out enjoying the sunshine than cooking. Every plate helps me do just that. Simple, stress-free recipes come together in just six steps and are ready in about 30 minutes or less. You can choose between 17 recipes that change every week and swap proteins and sides to your liking, so you can switch up dinner routines however you want. Every plate helps me experience more of my favorite things in life by saving me time and money, which means more money towards vacations, concerts, the list goes on. You can choose from classic plate, veggie plate, family plate, and easy plate preferences to serve up crowd-pleasing meals night after night. Try every plate for just $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering the code SELFIE179. Again, that's $1.79 per meal at everyplate.com with the code SELFIE179. Today's episode is sponsored by Somavetic. Somavetic is a device that combines an Eastern approach to health and wellness with modern day technology. If you have a lot of devices in your home, as most of us do, then there are hundreds of signals floating through the air at any given moment. This is called EMF, and some people are really sensitive to it and believe that it can cause some not great things in the body as a result of all of these free radicals bouncing around. If you're concerned with the unwanted influences of electromagnetic radiation or geopathic zones, you'll appreciate Somavetic. Somavetic devices rely on frequency therapies and the healing powers of precious and semi-precious stones and metals to create a natural energy field to harmonize your home. It does this through the controlled release of energy from precious and semi-precious stones. It creates a 360-degree field with a radius of 100 feet in all directions. The founder of Somavetic launched these devices in 2011 as a response to his own ongoing health struggles. After years of no success with Western medicine, he turned to traditional Chinese medicine and found a variety of healing properties with stones and minerals. After some time, he was able to heal his body and has helped others as well, and his experience inspired him to create Somavetic. If you're interested in mitigating EMFs and creating a harmonic field in your environment, these devices are a great solution, and they are beautiful. Each device is comprised of their own semi-precious stones with unique properties. Somavetic is a small company, and all products are handmade and hand-assembled in their Crystal Valley, in the Crystal Valley of the Czech Republic. If you want to try Somavetic, they have a 60-day money-back guarantee to let you try. Visit somavetic.com and use the code SELFIE for 10% off. That's S-O-M-A-V-E-D-I-C.com with the code SELFIE for 10% off. Hey everyone, I'm Kristen Howerton, a writer and a psychotherapist. And I'm Rue Powell, an admitted workaholic and self-care Luddite. And you are listening to Selfie, a weekly podcast about women learning to take better care of themselves. We think self-care is important, but it can simultaneously be elusive. We don't lack information about it, but we don't always quite get there. So this podcast is dedicated to exploring different aspects of self-care, from the silly to the serious. We're looking at health, relationships, beauty, periods, and maybe a touch of the random. We also want to look at the hurdles we face that keep us from caring for ourselves like we should. To submit questions to me or Rue, or to Claire, our beauty expert, or BJ, our resident therapist, join us in our private forum by searching Selfie Podcast Community on Facebook. 
Hey guys, well, today we are going to be chatting with University of San Diego journalism professor David Dozier. He is going to be talking with us about fake news, about the dynamic of both fake news that is really fake news and how fake news has also become sort of a calling card of, you know, mainstream media. We had a really interesting discussion that I think you guys will will really find fascinating. Um, he had a lot of insight into this whole thing. And BJ is going to be talking with us about how to find mindful practices in the mundane as a form of self-care. Today's show is brought to you by Ebby, a seamless underwear membership. Ebby is underwear with purpose. They are seamless and smooth with the perfect amount of stretch and softness. Is it possible to be obsessed with your underwear? You just might be because these are your new favorites. They have a superpower for fighting visible panty lines, slipping or writing up. That's right, no panty lines ever because they have a great no-slip grip that keeps everything in place. They also have a cotton lining to keep your lady parts healthy. They have fits and styles in sizes extra small to 4X to fit every woman. But the best part about joining Ebby is that it keeps your underwear drawer fresh and helps fund cyclical microfinance loans for women around the world. 10% of every Ebby purchase funds business loans for women, empowering women out of poverty and into business. Membership also gives you access to exclusive member-only offers, free shipping, limited edition prints, and weekly power tips on confidence and productivity. You can get 20% off your first order at joinebby.com with the code SELFIE20. That's joineby.com dot com with the code selfie 20. Rue, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How has your self care been? It's been pretty good. It's been pretty good this week. I did. Um, I did rip my kitchen apart. <laughs> <laughs> just COVID things, just COVID stuff, just COVID stuff. Um, no, I okay. It, it's kind of a long way around of how we landed with this with this kitchen remodel that we didn't plan for at all. Mm -hmm. But it started with the fact that our fridge is just entirely too small. So there's, you know, I have four kids. My boyfriend has two. They have their own refrigerator in. they live in the back house. But we Mm -hmm. end up kind of sharing the main house fridge. And it was just disgusting. Nobody could ever find anything piled upon piled of stuff in the freezer. So then we were spilling out into a fridge in the garage, and I was just Uh. getting tired of walking back and forth. So I wanted to get a bigger fridge. I start looking on Craigslist. I find a 20-year-old Sub-Zero giant fridge. You know, the giant ones. Wait, is this like an industrial no, it's actually it's not industrial. Um, it they're it, I mean they're made for homes and they're the kind where you can put a panel of your own cabinets on it so it looks like a cabinet. Ooh, yeah, which is great. And so I found one twenty years old for five hundred dollars, and it's nice. huge. It's double the size of my previous fridge. Where and it's like counter depth. So you open it and everything is right there, kind of widespread out. Um, of course, the, it has a panel on it, like a kitchen panel, but it's hideous. It's like scrolled. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, kind of 80s scrolled. Um, somebody took a router router to it. So anyway, we're going to put panels on it to make it match the other cabinets, but we had to rip things out because it didn't fit in the same space, if that of makes course. sense. Yeah. And then, of course, as we're ripping out cabinets, it just became like, if you give a mouse a cookie, because then I'm like, well, <laughs> if we're going to rip this out, then maybe we should put a pantry here instead of this. Well, if we're going to rip this out, and I mean, we ended up, you know, I added, 
I took out a lot of countertop space and uppers and I put in a lot more pantries. Right. Which makes way more sense for the space. So yada, yada. My whole kitchen has just been like, it was like an accidental remodel. Like one Saturday we bought a fridge and then by that evening we had taken half of the cabinets out in the kitchen. Like, is, oops. is it done now? No, because of course it's taking forever, but it's, it's close. Mm-hmm. I mean, we only have weekends to really work on it. And so it's right. like, we'll bust our butt on Saturday and Sunday trying to get it done. But I will say that one thing I'm excited about is the new pantries are just forcing me to get a lot more organized in my kitchen. Which I know you love. Which everything, I love. Every, everything everything just, needs a home. Yeah. And it wasn't just the fridge. Just stuff is piling up. And it just really forced me to pare down. But so, yeah, I mean, I actually feel energized in the middle of projects like this, even though, you know, it does feel a little chaotic because, you know, there aren't doors on any of the pantries right now and half of the stuff is laying out on counters. So it feels chaotic. But I also just like the energy of a forward moving project. Yeah. And like, it's one of those things where it gets a little worse before it gets better. Way worse before it gets better. But I'm already seeing the vision and the I think the finished product is going to be pretty awesome. And we managed to do it without spending a lot of money um, and just kind of repurposing stuff I already had. So yeah, well, it's I'm nice excited. because outside of it, just, you know, making your kitchen look the way you want it to, it feels like an investment in mental health. Yes. Right. You're it not does. like getting angry over not being able to find the hummus or whatever. Uh huh. It totally I mean, I have to say, like, already, I feel like and this sounds so lame, but I feel like we're eating better because we can find foods easier. <laughs> No, I I get that. This makes sense. I made uh so <clears throat> my partner had a 5 gallon jug of like red peppers in the fridge and it's like we're not a restaurant. We don't need these we don't need <laughs> the like it wasn't even a Costco. It was like from a, like a restaurant depot and I don't even know why we had it. And so I was like, look, this is taking up way too much real estate. We need to get rid of this. He's like, no, I'm totally going to use it because he's a vegetarian. Of course, he's going to chop all this up and it's going to be great. Well, we just go by and it's still there. So finally, I said, I'm going to Sharpie a line on this jar. And if the level of red peppers has not come under this line of this jar in a week, I want you to agree to toss it. Oh, my god! And it's like, all right, fine, great. So I Sharpie it. That is so funny. And anyway, it's gone now. It's gone. (laughs) But we, like, you only have so much precious real estate. You can't be devoted, especially in a fridge, you can't be devoting it to a five-pound jar of red peppers. No, 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 no. So I see what you're... It was one of those things where, I mean, the fact that I got out of Sharpie and, like, made a speech about it, you could tell it was starting to grate on me, you know? Yes. Um, (laughs) So my self-care check-in is very much uh, politics-related and not – so two things. One, everything is making me lose my mind, and I I find that I'm getting irritated just all the time, and I talk to friends. And, like, even when I talk to friends who agree with me, I still get irritated because we're just – Angry. So, for example, when the, you know, New York Times bomb about um, Trump's taxes came out, what, yeah. like a week and a half ago, uh, I'm like texting my friends and we're just, you know, the text thread is angry or like, of course. And I feel like it doesn't do anything except, me, except get me more heated. So my new thing is I listen to NPR up first, first thing in the morning. It's like a 10 minute you know, 10 minutes of here's what's happening in the news. 
And then I shut off social media for the day. Mm-hmm. I just give it up. And then I check in later and then I, I give it up again because that is the only way that I can preserve. Because even I can't even go on Facebook right now because it's people that I trust or people that I know and like posting nonsense. And then, of course, I, you know, just I stretch my fingers out and I'm like, first of all, comma, you totally. know, and it's, I, it's just unnecessary. Um, so that's been what I've decided to do. But I have gotten into some sort of quiet political sign war with someone in my neighborhood. And if (laughs) you know me... (laughs) I need to know more about this. If you know me in real life, do not please just, you know, be quiet and just, you know... Don't uh, blow up my spot in like the local moms group, right? Yeah. So I live on a... I live in a town that has, like, a lot of country roads. There's no, like, if you go outside at night, everything's dark, and the closest streetlight is, you know, 300 yards away. So this is fairly rural. And so the way we have it is all mailboxes, regardless of what side of the street you're on, are on one side of the street. Because that way the mailboxes are all lined up, and, you know, the mail carrier only has to go down one side of the street, and then it's done. Because otherwise... I don't know. It, it's just more efficient that way. Right. So I have to cross the street to get to my mailbox. The across the street neighbors don't have to. So I have some signs in my yard because I like to think that they do something or anything or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, encourage people to vote. So I've got the one that says, in this house, we believe Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. feminism is for everyone. And then I have like a wooden heart. I'm starting to look, it's like, I'm like a, a cat lady, but like a yard sign lady. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I'm just collecting them, and very soon I'm going to have, like, that gnome bending over in the garden, and it's it's just going to be, like, so many tchotchkes in my yard, But except it's political signs. So I have a dear friend who's running for a a state seat, and so I said, I have a big yard, and I'm on this road, drop off some signs. And so she gave me a few signs, so I put them by the road, and then I kind of wanted them on the other side of the road. And since that strip where the mailbox is is like no man's land, right? I put it next to my mailbox. Right. The next morning, I see it in my shrubs. I'm like, what is going on? Like, why? Who t- who knocked over? First of all, one sign's knocked over and one sign's missing. And so I walk around and I find it buried in shrubs. I'm like, what is going on? So I put one back up and I knock it into the ground a little bit harder. And then I put it back over by the mailbox. I go to a meeting. I come home and it's in my shrubs again. What in the world? So here's my theory. My theory is someone on the other side of this country road mm-hmm. does not like that my sign got it is near their house yes however it is not directly in front of their home there no. are a and it's bunch probably of, it's, community property where the mailboxes are right. and right? there's and there are there are woods and i feel like if a sign is right next to my mailbox it's like it's my mailbox so it's my sign next to my mailbox and so it happened again and part of me just wants to like would a note make sense here? Like, hey, could you please, would you mind having political signs on your side of the street? But I'm not getting anything like that. I just keep finding my sign in my shrubs. So it's like, well, do I, do I say, okay, clearly someone's sending me a message and put it on my side of the road? No, because I'm petty now and I'm mad. So now I'm going to hang it from my mailbox because then it's not in the ground on their side of the road. It's just hanging from my mailbox. Can they touch it? I don't know. 
I don't think so. But we'll see. We're, we're about to find out. And I'm about to go like full Joanne Fabrics on this where I punch holes in the sign and oh, yeah. tie it over yeah. my mailbox and underneath. For and sure. maybe maybe a couple zip ties, like maybe MacGyver it a little bit. Oh, yeah. But why? Why not just say, hey. Yeah. These signs are here to stay. Or even just come to me and say, look, I appreciate that you're supporting such and such candidate. However, due to the proximity to my home, I'm concerned that people might think that I'm supporting this candidate. Instead, someone's just throwing it in the in the shrubs, which I think is rude. That's really so, passive aggressive. Yes. So now I'm like, am I going to – I almost called her and said, just bring me five more signs. You know, like <laughs> – I'm going to just do like a banner, like a baby billboard in my front yard. Um, Oh my gosh. Anyway, so this is probably not great for like my blood pressure. And I probably like the the gains I made doing NPR up first in the morning only, I've probably lost by being angry about the sign wars. So something I need to consider. So funny. I have... I have two neighbors engaged in, I don't know if it's a sign war so much as just like a stand your ground, but we have a retired cop who lives across the corner from us. Um, and he has a Blue Lives Matter sign, which mm-hmm. I know, you know, there are some people who would say that's not racist. I feel like it's a problematic sign um, just because it's co-opting the Black Lives Matter. You know, I mean, it right. that did not become a thing until um, people started saying, hey, let's stop killing black people. And then right. all right. of a sudden, no, we have to support cops. But but I actually do know that this cop happens to be a racist. <laughs> like, oh, bona fide. well. So, so, yes, there's that. Um, and then their their direct next door neighbor, um, it's really funny. So there, there's the Blue Lives Matter flag. And then the next door neighbor has, they have the pride flag. They have a Black Lives Matter flag. They have like a flag of just fists of different colors <laughs> plus rainbow. Like they keep adding to it. And it just <laughs> makes me laugh so hard. Um, that they're right next to each other. <laughs> of course, of course. No, I, I, I like that. I, I get that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll have to see what happens, and maybe for the sake of my own sanity, I won't go nuts. But there's part of me that want. Part of me just wants to stand out there with like a sandwich board, you know, and like ring a bell. But totally. I feel like I don't know. <laughs> anyway, funny. what are your two thumbs up for the week? Yeah. Okay. So uh, my first is. Eczema related. I have been on an eczema journey, mm-hmm. trademark, um, this year. It's my eczema has been so bad. I, I know it's, I, I know it's stress related, but I just have like on my legs just patches that just come and go, and they come and go with my cycle. They come and oh. go, yeah. And so, um, I have just been trying all of the products, but I have found that. Um, most sunscreens exacerbate my eczema. So if I'm like going to the beach or going out somewhere and I have to put some sunscreen on it, like if I just sprayed some of that 50 that you buy at the store, mm-hmm. I'm screwed. Like it's going to make my oh. eczema so much worse. So I have been searching for an SPF that is also an eczema treatment. Um, and I found one that's really good. It's called Skin MD. It's a whole line for eczema, but they do have um, lotions with SPF in it. It has arnica flower in it, which is anti-inflammatory. So it's a great eczema cream, but they have it with SPF as well. And so, and it's really thick, you know, you you have kids with eczema, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I was actually just yeah. thinking, I wonder if 
my daughter's latest eczema flare-up is because of sunscreen. Because she gets it really bad. And this is where I used to get it, too, like the inside of your elbows. Yes. Whatever that's called, your inbo. I don't know. That part? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I get it there, too. Yeah. So anyway, it's nice if you have eczema and you just, you know, because it's an all-in-one. Like, it's treating the eczema and providing sunscreen. Because that's the other thing, too, is whenever I have to wear sunscreen, I'm like, okay, do I put it under my eczema treatment or over? (laughs) Like, I don't understand. Um, And then my other two thumbs up is I got myself a grip guard, um, which is like this little, I don't even know how to explain it. It's like a little clamshell and you can use it to touch surfaces and open doors when you're out and about. And I just hang it from the outside of my purse. And then I use it if I have to like, you know, use a doorknob or touch something that I don't really want to touch when I'm out and about. uh, So clamshell, I'm thinking like a literal clamshell. It's not, it's just like a no, that's how it opens. I mean, it's just, oh, it's almost just like two little circles that are, that are, um, gripped together, if that makes sense. Okay. So like and a little pack, a little Pac-Man for your hand. It's a Pac-Man for your hands and it's grippy. It's like really grippy. I like that. You know what I think every door should have now, like any door that's being made after COVID is that foot opener. Yes. Have you seen, like I want a foot opener on everything. Oh, I, I never mean, want I've, to touch a doorknob again. I mean, that is obviously also another technique I employ a lot is just the kicking of the door. Yes. <laughs> Where you yes. kick it on the bottom and you like get it wide enough that you can walk through it without touching. Well, I love the doors on trains that have, like, you know, there's that push button that every Jeremy person touched, but then there's a push button by the floor that you can kick. Yeah, And I love that. And I just want that, I don't know, implemented in other facets of my life. I know. We need that. And this grip guard thing also has a little extendable, um, I don't know, like a little thing that you can touch, like elevators or buttons Oh, cool. Like a little extendable finger. So it's very useful. And it's on a retractable... Um, like a retractable leash, kind of. Oh, like a like a badge. Like if you're about to swipe exactly. the badge, except it's yeah. a, so you can just hang cool. it for, hang it from your purse. I kind of I want to get that. I want to hang it from my kids' fanny packs. That seems like something for good for kids too. It actually would be very good for back to school. Now that you mention it, yes. What do you have? Okay, so uh, the first one I'm very excited about. So I like. Okay, how do you apply your foundation or tinted moisturizer? Do you use like a brush or your hands or? With my fingers like a monster. Yes. So I love a beauty blender. And a beauty blender is like a very specific brand. It's called yes. Beauty Blender. It's very expensive. Yes. Claire is um, a big fan of those. Yes. And so I very much like it, but I find that I want to wash it all the time. And then I'm like, oh, is it because of COVID? I'm like, oh, does it have COVID germs on it? And (laughs) then I'm like, do I need to buy another one right now? So every dupe I've found has been a really terrible version of a beauty blender. But I found one on um, Amazon and they're called, it has a ridiculous name. It makes me think of Muppets, Beaky Sponges. Oh, funny. And it comes in a five pack. And I think five of them, it's like... Ten of these are the cost of one beauty blender. And here's and they, the key. They look just like it. Yes. It's the tear it's as, the teardrop sponge. Right. They're not as like they don't feel as, I don't know, decadent, but you know, it's a sponge for your face. So yeah. um but the key is to take it and put it underwater and like, you know, make sure it's not sopping wet, but it's damp. And then I take that and I apply tinted moisturizer. And I would say, okay, if a beauty blender is a 10 out of 10, a beaky sponge is a 9 out of 10. Okay. 
eight and a half out of ten. And maybe. way cheaper. Way cheaper. And much cheaper. So I I really like it. If you're a sponge person, you know, um, and I've used brushes before too, but I really like a sponge. So I am very excited about that. And then I just wash it with like um, Dr. Bronner's. Mm-hmm. You know, like a Dr. Bronner soap, and then yep. I wash it and lay it out to dry, and I feel really good about that. Nice. I, I, I bet you could even probably toss it in the, in the dryer or something too, just to really zap those uh, germies. But my second one is um, everything you need to a science in one big fat notebook. So it's mm. a book for kids. This is like a, a middle school study guide. But what I like about it is it's not one of those books that you hand a kid and say, read this. It is one of those books that you stick on the toilet in their bathroom. And ah. it becomes great bathroom reading material for kids. I love this. Yes. And they have an entire line, like everything. You need to ace history in one big fat notebook. And it's fun. And it's obviously not a comprehensive curriculum. But it's it's like a, it's fun. It's a fun design. Um, my kids like it. I think it's probably great for, you know, seventh, eighth, maybe fifth through eighth, fifth through ninth. Mm-hmm. And like, I like flipping through it too. So I feel like those are, I have these sneaky ways that I try to get my kids to learn stuff. And lately I've been using the bathroom where I'll put little like fun, I don't know, <laughs> a list of synonyms on the back of a bathroom door. I know that doesn't sound fun at all, but they, it's like stuff to look at while you're going to the bathroom oh we have a shower curtain that is sat words all over the shower curtain i love that i was going to get um a a u.s map one so they could you know locate locate arizona in a pinch oh totally i love that we have a huge map in our house yeah i want to get so i want to get a map i like the sat one too that is cool yeah yeah it's fun i mean have my children ever used a word from that shower curtain they share that they stare at every single day no but maybe through osmosis it's working <laughs> yeah like maybe one day they're Someday. just gonna go yeah yeah they're gonna do a great job on their sats because of like the four words in the corner of your uh shower map curtain shower curtain map fingers crossed yes So when I was a teen learning to shave my legs, my mom did not do me any favors by buying me really cheap disposable razors. If you grew up in as a teen in the 90s, you know the ones and they left nicks and cuts all over me when I was trying to shave. So with two girls learning how to shave their legs right now, I am committed to making sure that they have good quality razors. Guys, I was probably well into my 30s before I realized the difference a quality razor makes. Today's sponsor is Athena Club. They have great razor kits that we have been using in our house for a couple months. The razor blades are awesome. They are surrounded by this water-activated serum that has shea butter and hyaluronic acid, so you get a silky smooth shave that actually leaves your skin soft and hydrated as opposed to stripped dry. And their blades are spaced out to let hair and shave cream pass through easily so you don't have to make a ton of passes going over and over the skin to remove the hair. Fewer passes means less irritation to your skin, which cuts down on razor burn and ingrown hairs. The razor kit is only $9 with free shipping and it comes with two blade cartridges, a cute little magnetic hook for your shower storage, and your choice of a handle color. I personally chose the coral, but what I really like about it is they have a ton of different colors, black, white, pastel, neon. So if you have a big family like mine, everyone can have the razor in their own color so you don't get them confused. What I also love about Athena Club, you guys know I love automating things. You never have to worry about dull blades because they send refills on your schedule. 
You just choose how often you want them and they will send them automatically with free shipping. I would also highly recommend their cloud shave foam too. It's insanely thick and stays on while you shave so you don't have to reapply. It leaves your skin feeling very moisturized. It's really, really good. If you want to try a great quality razor that cuts down on the wastefulness of disposable razors, try Athena Club Razor Kit. You can get 20% off your first order at athenaclub.com with the promo code SELFIE. That's A-T-H-E-N-A-C-L-U-B.com with the promo code SELFIE for 20% off. We've talked a lot about skincare on this show and specifically tretinoin. If you're not familiar, it's a retinoid, which is an active vitamin A derivative that's used to improve the texture, tone, and appearance of the skin. Today's sponsor, Dear Brightly, has a product called Night Shift, and tretinoin is the active ingredient in Night Shift. This is the only FDA-approved retinoid for treating photoaging, which is premature skin aging due to long-term sun exposure. Tretinoin stimulates collagen production to prevent and treat signs of premature skin aging from years of sun damage, things like fine lines and wrinkles, dark spots, uneven skin tone, and big pores. Tretinoin can only be acquired through a prescription, but it's 20 times more potent than the -the over-the-counter retinol products. It's one of the most well-researched ingredients with over 50 years of research behind it for both acne and photoaging. I had a chance to try Night Shift, and I'm really liking it. I have the unfortunate experience of having both breakouts and wrinkles at the same time, and it's great for both. I have seen my fine lines decreasing. I've seen my skin tone looking better, and it feels really nice. If you've used an over-the-counter retinol before, you know it's really great, but a dermatology-grade retinoid is even better. Night Shift is their dermatologist-formulated serum that's tailored to your skin by doctors online. Dear Brightly works by you first of all starting by sharing your skin story with them, then a doctor evaluates your skin and your skin history. They then tailor your formula and write a prescription, if applicable, and your tailored serum will be delivered to you in the mail. It's super simple and easy. Head to www.dearbrightly.com and enter the promo code SELFIE to get 15% off your first order, which is their very best offer anywhere. That's S-E-L-F-I-E to get 15% off your first order at dearbrightly.com. Today's episode is sponsored by the Leadership Conference. Voting has always been important to me because the politicians we vote for affect the policies that are put into place that shape our communities. Politics are personal and they affect everyone, which is why everyone should use their voice. Voting should be free, it should be fair, it should be safe, and it should be accessible to everyone. It's a huge privilege to live in a country where every citizen is able to shape the leadership landscape. Having your voice counted in this year's election is more important than ever. You don't have to wait until November 3rd to cast your ballot. Be an October voter with me. In most states, you can vote early in October. Request your mail-in ballot, return your completed ballot in the mail or in person, or vote early at an early voting location. There's really no time to waste. Let's treat every day like election day to make sure all voices are heard. Make a plan to vote and be an October voter. Visit andstillivote.org to join the fight for voting rights today. Again, that's andstillivote.org. 
Today, we're going to be talking with University of San Diego journalism professor David Dozier. He is a doctorate in communication research from Stanford University. He's also the author of The California Killing Field, and he is an internationally recognized expert and speaker on mass communications and the perfect person for us to be talking to about the dynamic of fake news. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us today. So I am very interested to talk with you today about this dynamic of fake news. I feel like this has been an issue for quite a while, but we've really seen it ramp up in, I feel like, the last year, and especially since the pandemic hit. What are you noticing in terms of an increase in fake news? Well, I think that you're absolutely right. We're seeing a lot more fake news news. And uh, uh, and I think also we're seeing a lot more use of the phrase fake news to be used as a way of uh, just simply dismissing uh, information that you don't like. Yes. Um, and so I think that uh, a lot of people use fake news the way we used to use propaganda. You just say, mm-hmm. oh, that's just propaganda. Mm-hmm. Well, Dismiss. Uh, no, it's all oh, that's just fake news. Mm-hmm. Um and so, you know, fake news is basically uh, uh, information that's packaged to look like news, um, but it's really disinformation, which means that um, somebody is intentionally spreading false information in order to further a cause or a particular political candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that we've seen a lot more of that. Um, and uh, without getting too political here, we know that um, uh, the FBI has reported that the uh, uh, Russian intelligence is uh, using a lot of uh, disinformation and fake news on social media to, uh, you know, basically undermine any confidence we have in the uh, upcoming election. Yeah. And, you know, fake news, I mean, it's not a partisan thing. Um Right. No, I mean, this, you know, this exactly, is a thing that happens exactly. on both sides. It's, fake news goes both directions. Right. Uh, everybody's uh, uh, inclined to do it at, at, at some time or other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like um, it's like water pollution. Uh, and uh, uh, the more you do, the murky, murk, murkier the water gets and the more difficult it is to uh, mm-hmm. tease out the truth. Um Absolutely. And so I think that um, one of the things that I've sort of been emphasizing in um, various interviews is the idea that um, in the final analysis, we as citizens are the best guards against fake news. And we're going to just have mm-hmm. to work a little bit harder as citizens mm-hmm. to uh, ferret out what, um, you know, what's real and what's what's fake. And I think that is a challenge. It's been a lot of talk of Facebook and uh, Twitter building algorithms that can detect fake news. But in the final analysis, the algorithms aren't going to be able to outsmart people that are figuring Mm -hmm. out ways to um, uh, peddle fake news. And so we need to, as citizens, just simply be um, aware of uh, different tools that we can use to identify fake news. And, you know, I mean, it's so interesting you say that because at the end of the day, this really it is is a citizen problem. I mean, it's people, by and large, that are the ones broadly sharing fake news. Do you think people realize they're doing this? Well, I think that's the distinction between disinformation and misinformation. I think mm-hmm. a lot of folks pass on information um, in complete innocence. They right. have every reason to think that it may be true, and so they're just passing it on and not realizing that um, it's not like 
you know, sharing gossip over the back fence. Um, once it goes on the internet, uh, it can travel at the speed of light all over the country, all over the world. And, uh, and we know information goes viral on social media very often. And a lot of times that information is not accurate. Absolutely. And so how do we, you know, well, first of all, let me, let me say this. What's the case for people caring? about fake news. You know, if someone's listening to this and thinking, well, it's, it's not that big of a deal or people make mistakes, you know, why do we need to really care about what we're sharing and how accurate it is? Well, I think it's critical. I think that as citizens in a democracy, um, our votes count um, mm-hmm. who we elect to uh, high office and, you know, local office. Uh, all of that's very important. It affects our lives. And very tangible and direct ways. And so uh, when we look at information um, about what's going on in our political system and our social system, we need to be very concerned about the accuracy of that information. And about 20% of the population gets all of their news from social media. Yeah. And so as a consequence, um, you don't have any of the uh, gatekeepers, the folks that are going to vet information to see if it's accurate. Now, I, uh, before I became a college professor, I was a journalist for a number of years, and um, and journalists make mistakes. Um, sure. But I like to think that the vast majority of journalists um, make honest mistakes, and when they make a mistake, they try to correct it as quick as they can, mm-hmm. uh, and they try to provide accurate information. And that's quite different than uh, political operatives who are intentionally creating false news, fake news. Mm-hmm. Um, disinformation and then trying to disseminate it in a fashion where it'll fool people into thinking that it's legitimate news. Absolutely. And so if I then decide, you know, a part of me being a good citizen and a part of, you know, being me being a patriot, to use a word that's popular right now, is making sure that I'm sharing things that are true and that are accurate. How do I best go about doing that? Well, the rule I use is basically, uh, and I do this a lot with my wife. Um, she, um, like you, is a, a clinical psychologist, therapist, marriage family, child counselor. I was a journalist, and so we come at information through a different prism. And mm. uh, in the early years of our marriage, she'd say, oh, guess what I just found out? And she'd say something, and it wouldn't ring true. And I said, well, who said that? Where did it come from? Mm-hmm. So now she's turned into this real um, hawk when it comes to information. And before she'll share anything with me, she'll say something like, and I tracked this down, and it's either from the New York Times or Washington Post or Wall Street Journal or LA Times, mm-hmm. uh, some legitimate news source. Um, and that doesn't guarantee that it's um, mm-hmm. absolutely accurate, because even the uh, the prestige newspapers make mistakes, but they're mm-hmm. less likely to make mistakes than uh, the average citizen. So if you can track down the source of information, that's uh, one good way to do it. Um, the other um, tool that we have readily available on the Internet is um, the various fact-checking sites. Uh, right. Uh, the Pointer um uh, Pointer uh, Foundation has one. I know Washington Post has one for political information. And uh, if you just type, you know, go to your search engine and type in uh, fact checkers um, and you'll see a whole bunch of them. And uh, and that's another good way to see if uh, information that you think is true is, in fact, supported by uh, evidence. Yeah, absolutely. There's an interesting dynamic going on as well, which is a 
distrust that's happening in mainstream media. I mean, we've even heard the term lamestream media being used and people have this distrust of mainstream media. Where is that coming from? And do you think it's a legitimate distrust? Well, I I can't help but show a little bit of my political stripe here. But um, uh, uh, President Trump has been doing a lot of efforts to discredit the media. And yeah. uh, as a consequence, uh, it almost becomes a partisan issue. You know, right. like trusting the media means you're a Democrat uh, mm-hmm. uh, or Green Party, uh, uh, certainly not a loyal Republican. Uh, and, and that's very, very problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think that you even see that when um, Fox News says something critical of the president, all of a sudden he'll start talking about uh, uh, Fox News being fake news and that the polls that, sh- the, you know, the polls that uh, Fox News conducts that shows Trump trailing in uh, nationally and in a number of the uh, uh, swing states or battleground states, uh, he'll call those fake polls. So unfortunately, the president has um, decided to use uh, the notion of fake news and, uh, you know, corrupt media as a, uh, a for his own political advantage um, mm-hmm. without realizing that you're basically tearing down the fourth estate. Um, journalists um, are uh, have a, an important role in a democracy to act as checks and balances on the three branches of the government. And it's the place where the watchdog lives and it's yeah. where people ask the hard questions. And if people begin to not trust anything that the news media says, then we've lost our watchdog. And then all kinds of shenanigans can um, can happen. And when they happen, people will say, well, that's not true. That didn't happen. And I think, unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of that um, in the White House these days. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And it's unfortunate because I think, you know, there's a whole generation who don't maybe even understand the difference between an op-ed and a news report, you know, or the difference between um, a talk show host and a journalist. Exactly. Which is problematic. It's very problematic. And I think that um, the, uh, uh, the, the mainstream media uh, uh, needs to work at educating their viewers and their readers about Mm -hmm. that, um, that those distinctions, uh, and, uh, the problem with social media, of course, is that it's all the same. Uh, right. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, an op-ed piece uh, lifted from, let's say, a Wall Street uh, journal. Uh, we'll be reflecting a point of view that tends to be more conservative. You might get another one out of the Washington Post that tends to be more liberal. But this is commentary, and it's not um, reporting facts and news. And so you should be very skeptical whether you're a liberal or a conservative when you're reading an op-ed piece, um, and especially mm-hmm. if it's an op-ed piece that you agree with, because it's uh, very easy to uh, lower your standards of truth when it's something you already agree with. Uh, That's right. You need to ask some hard questions, um, uh, especially about the stuff that you take at face value that sounds true because it fits with all your pre-existing beliefs about you know how things work. Right. So you want it to we be just true. just have to work harder. Mm-hmm. At tracking down the information and um, and letting it be known that when uh, folks in our social media networks um, pass along disinformation, uh, we need to um, we need to flag it as such. Absolutely. You know, if I'm just a person who wants to make sure that I'm getting news from a reputable source, 
how do I look for reputable sources? How do I, you know, do do you have um, news outlets that you recommend more than others? How do we know that we're listening to an unbiased source? Well, I think that that the elite newspapers, um, and I, I include the Wall Street Journal. I, um, I, I read it. I don't necessarily agree with the columnist, but as I, I, I read coverage of stories in the Wall Street Journal and compare it to what I'm reading in the New York Times and mm-hmm. the Washington Post and the LA Times, um, I can kind of triangulate in on, um, the truth of the matter, at least to the best of the abilities of these journalists to tell us the truth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, there are differences, uh, in the, in the straight news reporting in terms of what's emphasized and what's de-emphasized. Um, but it's kind of interesting, even in the, um, the Wall Street Journal, which is, you know, politically conservative, um, um, the, the, the news pages are very, um, quick to, uh, point out that, uh, for instance, allegations that, um, uh, that there's massive voter fraud, um, even in the Wall Street Journal, they'll say, well, the president says that, but there's no evidence to support that. Um, in fact, the amount of uh, electoral fraud is infinitesimally small. Um, and so in the absence of any evidence, then we're going to just treat that as a false statement. Um, and so when you see that, you can have some confidence that, well, then the president's making stuff up. Uh, on the other hand, you get into other issues and you may see the coverage in the Wall Street Journal different than the coverage in the New York Times. And yeah. as a consequence, um, then you might need to spend a little bit more time trying to get down to the truth of the matter. Yeah, absolutely. And it's hard work. You know, it, re- it requires a little more on our end than just scrolling through what our friends have posted. Right. And I think the idea of getting your news off of Facebook, you know, off of social media, uh, it's, you know, it, Social media actually aren't uh, news sources. They right. simply uh, aggregate information, uh, and you don't know where it's coming from or how valuable it is, um, how truthful it is. And mm-hmm. so I'm very skeptical of everything I get on uh, social media. Now, a lot of these folks are friends of mine, and we have similar sorts of world views. Um, and so it's, it's kind of fun uh, to, to read it, but if I really want to find out the, the facts of the situation. I'll, I'll basically uh, go to the news sources that I trust and uh, maybe do a couple of uh, 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 Google searches uh, and get to the place where I feel comfortable with the with the information. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's hard, I think, as humans to do that, because I think, I mean, you mentioned before that we, you know, we feel comfortable when we read things that confirm what we already believe, you know, it's that confirmation bias, like, oh, good, I read some, I just read something that I agree with. And it's hard to challenge ourselves to push in and corroborate if what we're reading is true, versus making us feel comfortable. Exactly. It's, it's hard work. Um, and nobody said uh, living in a democracy was going to be easy. If we mm-hmm. lived in uh, an authoritarian regime, we would just do what the government told us to do, and all of our media would be filled with stuff that the government approved. And uh, it'd be a you know be an easy easy process. You go to vote, and there's only one name on the list, so you basically <laughs> do a affirmation of whoever the powers that be say you should be voting for. And you're done and you go back to watching, uh, you know, streaming or whatever. Um, democracy is hard work and, yeah. uh, we should value the sacrifices that have been made over the, you know, the 
all the years of our, our democracy. And it's, you know, it's not perfect. And uh, there are certainly things that we still need to fix. Um, but fixing it doesn't mean tearing down the structures that allow for democratic control, lowercase d, democratic control of our political processes. And mm-hmm. that depends on having accurate information about what, what's going yeah. on in the world, what's going on in government. Uh, what's going on in the different political parties. And so we depend on news media to do a fair and accurate job of providing that information. Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting, too, I think about, you know, the um, the distrust that has been seeded in mainstream media. And to me, the solution would be if there's a lot of distrust in mainstream media in the US, one solution would then be maybe to get if, if you know, if you really felt that to maybe get news from international sources like, okay, well, right. if I don't, if I, if I don't trust the US mainstream media to be nonpartisan, maybe I could get my news from the BBC or from Al Jazeera or from another reputable international outside perspective. But instead of that, what we're seeing is the people who distrust the mainstream media then going to, I'm going to get my information from blogs or Reddit or, more alarmingly, from QAnon. Yes. Talk to me a little bit about QAnon and why and how this has emerged as a way people are getting their news. Well, I think the the psychology of that runs really deep. Yeah, right. uh, Without... Without dwelling on it, I, I grew up in uh, Trump country, uh, grew up in the Sierra Nevadas in a small logging town. I'm sure that uh, all of the kids that I grew up with uh, are, are you know, Trump supporters. Um, and it was basically a blue collar, working class, uh, almost entirely white um, community. And I think there's a sense of, of uh, being forgotten, a lot of resentment mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. about uh, maybe a lost sense of social status. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of important and positive changes that have happened in our country that have to do with, um, you know, people of color, mm-hmm. uh, 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 gays, lesbians, bisexuals, transgender, uh, queer, mm-hmm. uh, being accepted as Americans and having a rightful place in our society. Uh, and for some people, that's, that's a scary proposition. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like, well, we're being left out. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you 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 find yourself inclined to sort of more paranoid um, mm-hmm. paranoid Threatened. content simply yeah. because it resonates with uh, your own paranoia. And mm-hmm. uh, certainly one of the uh, uh, analysis of uh, the president um, uh, is that, and this is by the way coming from Republicans, uh, is that um, he he certainly seems to have a real paranoid streak. And so yeah. My take on it, he's very good at picking that up when he's at his Trump rallies because mm-hmm. he can kind of riff off of whatever the audience is giving back to him. And uh, so his paranoia matches up with theirs and yeah. his sense of um, being wronged, uh, being taken advantage of mm-hmm. resonates with them. And I think the further you go down that silo, the harder and harder it is to um, look at anything other than through that particular lens. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think it is playing into fears that people have, Um, they feel threatened. Um, And then I also, I also feel like QAnon has grown some um, in that we're living in this pandemic, and just everyone feels a little scared. And they're looking for a common enemy. They're looking for 
you know, something to blame. We, we want to assign blame to something. And, um, I also personally feel like the QAnon stuff is a way that some people are doing the mental gymnastics of continuing to support Trump because there are a lot of theories that posit that, you know, Trump is, is sort of this hidden, um, secretive appointed martyr. And that makes them feel a little better about continuing to support someone who doesn't maybe agree with their religious affiliation. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's very, very interesting to watch that dynamic because, uh, if, uh, if Trump has a base, it's based, uh, a base that consists of the, the folks that I grew up with, basically, um, white, uh, rural, uh, folks with, uh, less than a college education. And, uh, and to be fair to people in that category, the, the, the folks that I grew up with, they're going through some hard times. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, um, these are people that used to be able to make a decent living through hard work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, working in sawmills, working in yeah. mines, um, working in all the extraction industries, um, you know, working in manufacturing. And, you know, those jobs are gone and mm-hmm. there really hasn't been anything to pick up the slack. And so what you have are some people that are feeling just totally left out and they're very easily exploited by somebody like Donald Trump, who has absolutely no idea what it's like to be poor mm-hmm. and rural and have right. less than a, a college education. Uh, he just doesn't have any sense of what that what that feels like. But uh, he's very good at tapping into that grievance, that sense of grievance, that sense of being uh, taken advantage of. And that resonates with, um, with a lot of folks. And, and then you can build all kinds of just ridiculous conspiracy theories, um, including the deep state, um, theory, you know, the mm-hmm. idea that there's all these people out to get Donald Trump. Um, well, there's people that think that he's unfit to be president and are kind of scared <laughs> of what he's doing to, uh, the institutions in our society. Um, uh, that doesn't make them some kind of deep state conspiracy. That right. just means they're p- people a little bit concerned about the Constitution and respecting yeah. the division of uh, power between the uh, executive and legislative and judicial branches of the government. Uh, and I think that's um, that's that's an interesting um, problem right now because we've just never had anybody quite like Donald Trump, and you've never seen at least in my, I'm seventy one. And I've never seen the power, the, the um, party in power have such uh, uh, disaffection with their own candidate. You just have a, yeah. a very large number of Republicans, uh, not necessarily people in, in government right now, but a lot of folks that have been in government saying, you know, we got to stop this guy. He's really yeah. dangerous. I've never seen anything like it. I mean, like you, I grew up in, you know, Republican country with very Republican parents. And I've never seen my parents turn. And, you know, my dad is like, I'm done. I'm out. (laughs) Yeah. With this, you know, Um, but, but, but at the same time, it's so fascinating because I'm also watching people who held very strong moral and religious convictions around who they would elect simultaneously letting go of some of those convictions to continue supporting him. So it's, it's weird to watch. 
Yeah, if your reference is specifically to evangelical Christians, yeah. which again were the folks that I grew up with, um, same. And actually, the church I went to as a kid. Um, uh, that you, you know, you've got some very interesting paradoxes there because Donald Trump is just the antithesis of. Uh, the Christian life, uh, yeah. as I understood it growing up in a, you know, very fundamentalist Protestant church. Um, you know, there were certain core values. Uh, you know, you didn't get divorced and you didn't cheat on your wife and, you know, just go down the list of things that, uh, Donald Trump has, has done and it's been documented. And so you have this, this interesting, uh, paradox where people who say this stuff is absolutely vital and I just couldn't possibly vote for somebody that doesn't respect my core values and you mm -hmm. got a guy that doesn't respect any of them and yet yeah um there he is president of the united states and he's gonna basically count on their support and you'll probably get it well and i think for me i think that's where some of this QAnon stuff comes in to fill in the gaps for evangelicals who say well he doesn't meet all the values but he's secretly going to out all the pedophiles and then they can feel Com more comfortable with supporting him because they feel like there is a secret mission that is above the moral question of the president. You know, it allows, I think it allows them to continue supporting him. It's, it strikes me as very bizarre. And, um, uh, given your training as a therapist, uh, it comes across as projection because yeah. Donald Trump, uh, I don't know if you've read Mary Trump's book, um, but, uh, in several places, she documents just inappropriate behavior by Trump towards very, very young women and children, basically, um, and uh, uh, talking about how sexy he finds his daughter. Um, now, I, I'm a dad of two daughters, and uh, when he was running in 2016, I said, I, I wouldn't want my daughters in the same room with that man. No. So I just find it puzzling if anybody who is concerned about pedophiles, uh, thinks that Donald Trump's on their side. I know, I know. It's it's baffling. And I think it is the perfect storm because I think, you know, he has seeded a paranoia against real media. He has seeded a paranoia about people feeling threatened by the other. And, you know, you bring in QAnon and it just kind of ticks off all the boxes of what has been you know, breadcrumbed out, and then people feel comfortable getting their news from, they don't even know who this Q is, you know, yeah. and they're comfortable taking news from 4chan or 8chan, you know, these places where, you know, and I think a lot of people don't even understand where this is coming from, because they're hearing it from a friend of a friend on Facebook. Right. But at the end of the day, you know, QAnon started seeding their news on 4chan, which is a notoriously racist hotbed for right. for white supremacists to disseminate and gather right well it, it and in uh, without going into a lot of personal hi history my family's from the deep south uh, south carolina and and uh, louisiana they came out here after the what i call the war of southern aggression uh, but they were uh, from the south and um you know white supremacy is a um is the the part of Trump's base that is difficult to uh, talk about and certainly difficult for anybody to acknowledge because uh, there's a tendency to wrap that in language to make it sound like something other than what it is. That's but, right. 
you've got a lot of white people, and I, I'm Caucasian. Um, you've got a lot of white people that are very, very concerned um, about what they see as a country that's beginning to look different than uh-huh. how it used to look. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're right. You know, we have more persons of color in the United States now than we had before. A lot more people that, you know, um, gay or lesbian that are now um, out of the closet and and um, presenting themselves to the world as who they are. And uh, for a lot of folks, that's, that's really scary stuff. And as a consequence, there's this bunker, you know, bunker mentality. Uh, and, uh, and I think because of Trump's particular psychology, he just is very, very good at tapping into that that um that set of uh worries uh that set of uh concerns that this isn't the country that it used to be well uh, you know i i'm glad it isn't the country that it used to be i'm <laughs> me too i'm old enough to remember standing in the kitchen and arguing with my dad who was also a republican about uh, martin luther king's um i have a dream speech and him saying well you know i'm a segregationist i go what mm. and, and and he says well yeah because when i was in the army there were these three black guys and two of them were okay but this other guy kept complaining about how he was being discriminated against and i said well dad wasn't he he says, oh, no, I think he just was, you know, just overly sensitive. Mm. And so, uh, yeah, the country's different now. Uh, we don't have conversations. That, well, I don't have conversations anyway with folks that say we need to segregate again. Of course, we're right. not in South Carolina or Louisiana either. <laughs> um, so uh, I just think that there's a lot of social changes and the demographics of this country are going to change whether Trump wants that wants them to or not mm-hmm. um, they already have yeah, yeah it's the, happened yeah, and california is 10 years ahead and yeah you know you know white folks are uh you know just a big minority group in in california and in fact yeah. the the second largest uh latinos outnumber uh anglos now um and we've sort of figured out how to get along my son-in-law is mexican-american um and you know it's just it's just not that big of a deal. It's It's, not. I mean, I live in a majority minority county and it's, it's not a big deal. (laughs) It's really not. (laughs) Right. We're all okay. And it should be that way. And I think people look at California and uh, if you're used to, you know, living in South Carolina or Louisiana where Mm -hmm. things were a certain way for a very, very long time. um, And you look at California and it's, got to be a little bit scary because mm. it, it doesn't look like um, it doesn't look like uh, the South uh, before the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that fear is really driving, um, driving a lot of paranoia. And then it's driving. I mean, it's it's all driving the fake news, isn't it? Because if we if we can look for news that tells us that, you know, Black Lives Matter is just this organization that's coming to rip apart families and to, you know, their their whole existence is to burn down buildings, then, you know, then we can continue with this narrative of I'm threatened, I need to push against, um, you know, Black, Black, equity or things like that. I mean, I do think people go out and look for news that confirms the fears that they have and allows them to feel okay with trying to interrupt equity, you know? I I think you're absolutely right. And I think that that fear, um, unfortunately, will probably get worse before it gets better because, um, you know, 
speaking progressive to progressive, I, I see uh, the demographics in our country simply shifting uh, yeah. in a way that um, the future is, um, by virtue of demographics, simply going to become more progressive. And it might have some, you know, one step forward, two steps back, three steps sideways. Uh, it's not going to be linear, but generally speaking, we're going to become a more progressive, more inclusive country. Uh, and I think a fairer country. Um, and, uh, and I think in the long run, that's, that's, that's good for everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, but if you're feeling threatened and you're feeling scared and you think that something that used to belong to you is being taken away, um, then you're going to find a place where, uh, people make you feel okay uh, yeah. and maybe reinforce some of those, uh, you know, paranoid uh, concerns yeah. that you have. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're right. And I think we're, we're really seeing that happening. Oh, gosh, well, I hope you're right. I hope we are moving towards a more equitable and, you know, less oppressive um, society. But it but we are definitely seeing the growing pains of that right now, aren't we? Absolutely. There's just no two ways about it. Um, it's yeah. going to be a painful process. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we already did it in California when uh, uh, when Pete Wilson hammered through uh, legislation to ban all public services from people that were undocumented. And yeah. that mobilized the Latino vote in California. And, uh, you know, Republicans can't get elected to, to statewide office anymore. Um, you know, if you say you're Republican, you might as well say that you're a member of the, you know, Ku Klux Klan or the, you know, uh, Communist Party or something, because you're just not going to get elected in California to a statewide office. Uh, uh, San Diego's got the only uh, big city Republican mayor, and uh, he's termed out. He's probably going to be replaced by a Democrat, and because that's just the demographics of California. It's mm -hmm. turning into a, a deep blue state. Now, mm -hmm. that doesn't mean the whole state is blue, it, you know number of miles from the Pacific Ocean tells you how conservative a person is. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I'm in one of those pockets. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I'm in Orange County, so, yeah. Uh, okay, well, we uh, I grew up in uh, just uh, just uh, west of the uh, Creek Fire in a little town called North Fork. And, yeah. Uh, it, uh, and it didn't burn down, fortunately. Uh, but uh, I do understand the fears uh, it, because those were folks that I grew up with. Uh, and uh, uh, But I think it's a problem identifying the wrong bad guys. Yeah. Know? The bad guys aren't persons of color. Uh, you know, it's not certainly not women. Uh, uh, and so these uh, exaggerated fears of the other are just simply... Yeah. Exaggerated fears. Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and I, you know, I would just encourage anyone who's listening, because I don't want to sound like we're, you know, battering down on people who have concerns. Um, but just to, you know, that is just yet another reason to be really careful of where you're getting your news from. Because if you're getting your news from a place that's always pointing to a boogeyman, you know, that's not good for the country. It's not good for your own psychology. And it's definitely not good for the people around you, you know, to, to just be marinating in news that stokes your fears. Right. And you can kind of see the same thing. Um, my, uh, I, I, I tend to be a news junkie, my wife, not so much. And so when 
Rachel Meadow comes on, um, she'll stand, you know, maybe hang in there for 15 minutes and, and she's, you know, pretty progressive. She just says, I, I just can't listen to any more of this stuff, uh, cause it comes across as so paranoid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's yeah. aspects of, uh, yeah. Uh, Rachel's show that are, you know, kind of left-wing paranoia. And so you got to balance that with, yes. okay, is anybody else as freaked out about this as Rachel? And if the rest of the world seems to be calm about it, then I'm not going to get quite as upset as yeah. uh, Rachel. No, it definitely goes to both sides. We can have extremes and paranoia on both sides for sure. Absolutely. And it's driven by the same sort of psychology. It is. Uh, the, Absolutely. The, the fear of the other. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, this has been a very helpful conversation. I hope it is encouraging people to fact check, to be more careful about where they're getting their news, and just to be basically more discerning um, as as we move forward as a country. David, thank you so much. Where can people find you online? I, I can be found uh, on davidozierbooks.com, okay. and I'll spell it because it's a French name and nobody gets it right. Um, <laughs> D-A-V-I-D. B O Z I E R B O O K S dot com. Fantastic. And then you have a book that is available. Is it, um, can people, where can people find your book and tell us a little bit about the book? Yes, they, uh, uh, I hope they do. It uh, deals with some of the same issues that I know you deal with on your, uh, on your podcast, uh, the California killing field and, mm-hmm. uh, deals with the death penalty and the inequities in that system. But that's a, mm-hmm. that's a longer conversation. Yes. <laughs> yes. But your book is, um, yeah, looking into the death penalty and some of the inequities that are inherent in the death penalty, which is a larger part of the conversation that we're all having on race. So I would encourage people to check that one out as well. Well, thank you so much, David. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Kristen. I really enjoyed talking to you. Hi guys, I'm BJ and I'm an emotional wellness coach. In my private practice, we address trauma, attachment wounds, and the roles they play in how we show up in our lives today. I've found my self-care has a profound impact on my mental health. So I'm here to invite you into the journey of emotional self-care. From day one of the Selfie Podcast, there has been a statement in our intro that says we often find self-care elusive. And I feel like elusive right now is an absolute understatement. I feel like everyone is really struggling to find ways to practice self-care and just keep their head above water at times. And today I want to talk a little bit about creative ways that we can use to bring mindfulness into the everyday. And it might surprise you the ways that we can do that. Came across it really randomly, to be honest. The other day, my husband and I had returned from our weekly grocery shopping run, which just feels like an all-day affair anymore, and I'm always looking for ways to make it a little less stressful. I'm one of those people who will only make one trip from the car to the house with groceries. Anyone else like that? Well, we've learned a little trick. You know those big blue bags you buy at Ikea? They can hold a whole slew of grocery bags, like I can get three or four full paper sacks into one bag. So we keep them in my car and use them to trek everything up into the house. California was the first state and my city, Long Beach, the first city to go plastic bag free a number of years ago. Long before it was mandated, though, I was carrying reusable bags and I keep them neatly stored in a trunk organizer. I found there are two 
types of bag people. Whether we're talking paper bags or reusable bags, you either wad them up or fold them neatly. Actually, there's a category in the middle. The person who starts trying to fold it up and then gets frustrated and just settles for whatever ends up happening. That's my husband. I'm a neatly folded bag person. So if you're familiar with these IKEA bags I'm talking about, you know they're made of this crinkly, hard, tarp-like material. And though they are box-shaped, when you buy them, they're just crushed flat. And I find great pleasure in reconfiguring these bags into the box-like shape they were born to live in. Yes, I'm one of those people who could fold a roadmap back into its original state. And I'm really aging myself here because most of you have never seen a roadmap. So anyway, back to my story. I'm refolding one of those IKEA bags on this particular grocery shopping day. And my husband said, I like the way you always do that to those bags because there's something kind of satisfying about refolding it into a flat square like you do. It's like a mindful practice. That statement, that description, a mindful practice, gave me pause. To think of doing something pretty meaningless like folding a reusable bag and seeing it as a mindful practice made me really stop and think. And I began to notice all the things I do, the mundane, sometimes everyday things that are mindful practices for me. My coffee maker uses these little flat disc-shaped pods that are made out of filter paper. They come in a bag and I always transfer them to a vacuum-sealed container Stacking those pods in that container brings me an inexplicable amount of satisfaction. Organizing a junk drawer has always had an immediate effect on me when I'm overwhelmed or stressed out and my brain just feels like it's too full. I can organize a drawer and it feels like my brain gets organized right alongside the pens and the post-it notes and the extra pairs of scissors. Organizing in general has that effect on me, except we all know that a big organizing job can be really overwhelming. However, if I have the time and the materials needed, and I mean, come on, who's not watching the home edit on Netflix? Half the fun is shopping for all those great products to organize with. And if I have those things in place, the feeling I have after getting a closet or a cupboard or even just a countertop organized is pure zen to me. I was surprised at the number of things I found when I really started thinking about it. Arranging flowers, prepping a month's worth of green smoothies to freeze, even laundry, which I hate, but I'll admit there are a few items, my underwear and pajamas specifically, that if I have time to sit down on the couch and roll them the Marie Kondo way, it brings me joy. A couple of episodes back, Kristen and Rue talked about the collective trauma of living through a pandemic and civil unrest not to mention a polarizing election season. Kristen stated that most of us feel we're working at maybe 50% of our capacity. I have really felt that deficiency a lot the last few weeks. Have you ever seen an athlete train by tying a tractor tire to a rope and attaching the rope to their waist and dragging the tire to gain strength? That's what life is like for us right now. It's like we wake up every day and there's a tractor tire dragging behind us everywhere we go. Humans are pretty adaptive. And there are times we kind of forget the tire is there. But the truth is, there's nothing normal about dragging around a tractor tire. And yet we can't get rid of the tire. So as Rue stated, it's imperative we lower our expectations and increase our self-care at this time. Mindful practices are so valuable. But when they're so elusive, as we say, just finding time for them is impossible most of the time. Even committing to take the time is met with exhaustion and stress and anxiety that make these practices hard. So what if we could find them in the mundane? 
What if we could find them in the nooks and crannies of our lives as we go about our day? So what I want to challenge you to do is pay attention to the mundane things you do that bring you a sense of groundedness, calm, serenity, satisfaction. It's very possible it's something you're avoiding or overlooking because in order to get that effect from it, you have to slow down your pace. And right now there's this frenzied pace we're feeling all the time. Not only is it contributing to your stress, but you'll use it to avoid tasks that bring you calm because you know it's something that you only enjoy if you have the time to give it your undivided attention. So let's say a mindful practice for you is unloading the dishwasher, weeding your garden. Maybe it's organizing your makeup drawer or even polishing the leaves of an indoor plant. It sounds frivolous, right? But what would it take? 20 minutes? What if you gave yourself that 20 minutes? Instead of thinking of mindful practice as meditation or yoga, what if we began to notice the way certain everyday tasks calm us, slow us down, center us? What if we gave ourselves permission to do one thing like that every day? I hope you'll try it. And if you do, I hope you'll come share with us what you learned from it over in our community group on Facebook. Hey, thank you for joining us. Continue the self-care conversation with us on Instagram at at Podcast and in the Selfie Podcast community group on Facebook. You can also visit our website to check out the resources we've talked about in each episode at selfiepodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to Selfie on iTunes so you can catch up with us next week. Take care. Take care.